Welcome to Bethany. I'm Dennis Fulton, a member of the Bethany community. We are worshiping at a unique and challenging time, but I'm glad you decided to spend this time with us. So whether you're in PJs or sweats or dressed up because it's Sunday, we are delighted you're here. No matter who you are, where you are, your gender identity, your sexual orientation, your race, whether you're a longtime believer, a seeker, or a doubter, you are welcome at Bethany today and always. Normally right now we greet one another, so take a minute and do that in the comments. Say hello, good morning, peace be with you. Tell us whether you're worshiping from and where you're worship, who you're worshiping with. Let's greet one another. Good morning, Bethany family. May the peace of Christ be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. You gotta look right here. Look peace, right here. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. If you hear nothing else this morning, this is the most important thing. You are a child of God, holy and beloved. Nothing, nothing, nothing can take that identity from you. When we say this, we are also saying that each and every person is also a child of God. Our task is to honor the image of God in ourselves and each other. Say it with me. I am a child, child of God, God, holy and beloved.
Bethany. I hope you're well. Um, I don't know how you're doing, but I know for me this has been a very, very, very long week. And I'm happy to be doing this with you all. Um, last week we had a scary story for Halloween. So this week I thought we all needed a hopeful story. Um, and this one is from the book of Exodus. It's a story about Moses. Now Moses' people, the Israelites, had all been slaves by the Pharaoh of Egypt, right? And Moses had done the, all of these things to get the Egyptians, or sorry, to get the Israelites away from the Egyptians. Now, Moses and the Israelites in the story are heading through the desert. They're trying to run away from Egypt. And the pharaohs had let them, and the pharaoh let them go, but now decided to change their mind. And the pharaoh and his armies are chasing down the Israelites at this part of the story. And God led his people through the desert to the edge of a great sea. They were just wondering how to cross it when suddenly they heard a terrible thundering and pounding. It sounded almost like horses' hooves. They shaded their eyes to look back and screamed. It was. Pharaoh and his armies were coming to get them. Whew. Have there ever been a time in your life where you thought that something was done, maybe a homework assignment or something, you thought it was finished, and then it came back to haunt you later? This is how the Israelites felt. They thought they were fine, they were done with the Pharaoh, they escaped, and now here they are coming behind them. So they're feeling pretty scared. Pharaoh had changed his mind again. Get my slaves back, he screeched, and charged out into the desert after them with 600 of his fastest horsemen in every single chariot in Egypt. What were God's people going to do? In front of them was a big sea. It was so big, there were no way around it. But there was no way through it either. It was too deep. They didn't have any boats, so they couldn't sail across. And they couldn't swim across because it was too far, and they would drown. And they couldn't turn back because Pharaoh was chasing them. They could see the flashing swords now glinting in the baking sun and the dust clouds and chariot after scary chariot surging towards them. So they did the only thing there was left to do. Panic. Whew. So they don't feel like they have any way out and they're freaking out. We're gonna die, they shrieked. Don't be afraid, Moses said. But there's nothing we can do, they shrieked. God knows you can't do anything, Moses said. God will do it for you. Trust him and watch. But there's no way out, they cried. God will make a way, Moses said. I think I would be screaming at Moses at this point, too. Another minute and it would have been over. But then the strangest thing happened. And I like this page because it goes sideways. God made the pillar of smoke move. It moved behind his people and hid the hid them from the Egyptians. Then God sent a strong east wind to blow all night long. It blew on the water of the big sea. It blew it to the left and it blew it to the right until it blew into two towering walls of water. And there, right through the middle of the sea, a muddy pathway opened up and God's people walked across on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to follow, the walls of water crashed back down on them and swallowed them up. God's people were safe. They danced and laughed and sang and thanked God. When there had been no way out, God had made a way. So this is an interesting story because most of the time I would say that God's with us, but we need to find our own way, right? We have to do everything we can. And the Egyptians and Moses had done everything they could to get to that point. But then they got to a point where they felt like there's nothing, there's nothing else we can do. We're stuck. And God made the rest of the way for them, right? He took that last step. She took that last step and made the rest of the way so they could escape. And it's a very hopeful story. and reminds me that God is with me even when everything feels helpless. So um, I hope that you don't feel helpless and you remember that God's with you. And I can't wait to see you all next week. If you're new to Bethany, please put your name down in the comments so I can say hello. My name is Miss Kayana. And if you're an old friend, say hi too. I'd love to hear from you. All right. Have a great Sunday. Bye. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter, verses 12 through 25. Listen now for the word of God as it comes to you this morning. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their fathers Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout the countryside, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of God for the people of God. To live a sacred life requires that we stand at the edge of what we do not know. That's a quote by author and teacher Anne Hillman that I've had hanging in my kitchen for years now. And it seems like the perfect place to start this week's sermon. The first time most of you hear this, it will be Sunday, November 8th. While we are gathered together virtually, all of us in our own homes, joined via both technology and the Holy Spirit. It'll also be the first Sunday after the national election. As Katie and I record this sermon, it is Wednesday afternoon, November 4th, the first day after the elections. There's just no way for me to know as I prepare and preach this sermon what will be known about those results on Sunday when we're all worshiping together. And although every election carries with it the reality of uncertainties and unknowns, until the votes are all counted, I can't recall being in an election week with this degree of tension about the fact that we are living with a set of known unknowns. We all know very well that life is full of unknowns. We live with them through, throughout all of our lives. Unknowns about things like our careers, our children and their hopes and dreams, our own health, the challenges, surprises, and adventures that a lifetime will surely bring. Now, not all unknowns are anxiety-producing. Some are fun and exciting, and some fuel our curiosity, our need to know. They feed our desire and our ability to imagine what might be possible. The unknown is often what sparks the mind of a scientist or the vision of an explorer, the imagination of an artist, the passion of a group of people to address the huge needs of the wider world. What I want us to sit with today is the idea that one trait of the maturing spiritual life, the maturing life of faith, is the ever-increasing ability to live with and even to thrive in the face of uncertainty. Today, I hope to provide you with an opportunity to meditate on the deep 
spiritual wisdom that embracing the unknown and being willing to be transformed by that embrace is indeed part of the life of faith for people who are awake and willing to welcome it. A few weeks ago, I shared with one of the Bible study groups one of my favorite quotes about faith. It's a quote uh, from Sharon Salzberg book that's called Faith. And she says that in her Buddhist tradition, faith means to place one's heart upon. She reminds us that in Hebrew and in Latin, faith is a verb, an action. Faith is not a singular state that we either have or don't have. It's, it's something that we do. We faith, Salzburg says. And then she goes on, faith is the willingness to take the next step, to see the unknown as an adventure, to launch a journey. With faith, we move out into the unknown, openly meeting whatever the next moment brings. Faith is what gets us out of bed in the morning and opens us up to the possibility that our lives can be different. Though we may repeatedly stumble, afraid to move forward in the dark, we have the strength to take some magnitude of risk because of faith. In our gospel lesson, Jesus is just at the start of his ministry. He's been baptized, he's come away from his 40-day pilgrimage in the desert, and he's learned that John the Baptist has been arrested by the Roman government. He most certainly knows that these are treacherous, uncertain times for himself as well. And so what does he do in the face of his uncertainty? He takes up John's words as the heart of his own ministry. Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. And then he heads to Galilee and begins inviting people to join him in this journey of faith this ministry of discovering and leaning into God's presence right in the midst of the very messy, uneasy, uncertain world. He gathers up fishermen and zealots and tax collectors. He heals Gentiles and women and blind men. And soon a whole crowd of people are following him. These first folks, though, James, John, Peter, and Andrew, they walk away from their known lives entirely. They leave their fishing nets. They leave their families, their father, sitting in the boat for the sake of the vision that Jesus is sharing with them. Curious about or maybe driven by the longing for the presence of God, for what Jesus called the kingdom of God, energy, that they must have sensed in him. It's not hard to imagine that the first, these first disciples had the strength to, strength to take this magnitude of risk because of that energy of faith. Now, repent is another potent word, this one right out of our text. One, and it's a word that we don't uh, usually like to spend a whole lot of time with, frankly. Unfortunately, I think the Christian tradition has tainted it with the stench of sin and shame. The truth is, though, that it is a very, it's very much like the word faith because it has transformative power. The word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia, and it means to have a new mind or to have a change of heart. In the tradition, we often think of it as having the sense of turning around and going another direction. I was interested to learn that when John the Baptist used the word, he seemed to be talking about an individual's change of heart or their change of their life. Um, he meant something like clean up your act or look at what's possible. Here and get your act together. When we look 
at the scope of Jesus's radical, boundary-breaking ministry, we can see that Jesus was talking about our individual lives, but also talking, speaking to society as a whole, to the halls of power, both in the religious and political institutions of the day. He was calling for repentance on a systemic level. Like his mother Mary, Jesus believed that the kingdom of heaven drawing near meant that people who abused their power would be put down from their thrones and the powerless would be given their fair share. I think these days it's important to understand that Jesus' call to repent is addressed to both places, our own personal lives and the bigger systems we live in as well. And we also need to realize that Jesus and the whole of Scripture really calls the faithful to be agents of the realm of heaven in both places. Parker Palmer is a Quaker writer and a teacher, and I just finished reading one of his many books called A Hidden Wholeness, The Journey Toward an Undivided Life. One line from the book grabbed my attention, and it stayed with me as a kind of prayer. He says, inner work can change the outer world. Similarly, Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic Worker House, said, the greatest challenge of our day is how to be, bring about a revolution, a revolution of the heart, a revolution which has to start with each one of us. That is the sense of faith and repentance I want us to sit with and meditate on some during this season of great unknowns. As we move into the next days, weeks, and months, no matter what they hold for us nationally or personally, I'd invite you to make a spiritual practice of asking yourself and asking God what the energy of faith might be calling you to, how you can harness it to help yourself live with these great uncertainties, these great unknowns, by following Jesus into the beauty, the struggle, and the suffering in the world that you encounter each day in your life. Because the truth is, just as Jesus called those disciples to leave their nets and move into a whole new way of knowing themselves and seeing the world, Jesus, the embodiment of God's way in the world, is calling each of us to. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near, and it is alive and well in our midst. The Gospel of Matthew keeps telling us that, and it's growing right now, believe it or not. I want to close today with a quote that a hospice chaplain friend of mine recently sent to me. It's a quote by the retired Episcopal Bishop of the Archdiocese of Alaska. His name is Bishop Stephen Charleston, and he grew up in Oklahoma and is a Native American of the Choctaw people. Listen now to what he has to say to us as we move into our future fueled by faith. Something sacred is coming this way. That is how my ancestors would have said it. In the midst of all this turmoil and confusion, when we cannot clearly see the path before us, when we feel trapped in a situation we cannot control, then I believe the wise elders of my holy heritage would climb to the high place of the heart, draw the circle of reason and faith around them, and stand to sing their prayers into the open sky of the history to come. They would not shrink into a corner afraid, but rise up to catch the first light of what was coming into being all around them. We are living in a time of emergence. We are the witnesses to a great renewal. 
The world is full of the fear of birth and change, but that transformation will one day be our blessings. Do not be afraid, but be believing. Come to the place where the ancestors are already standing. Come and see. Something sacred is coming this way. May it be so. This hymn is written by Mary Parker Huber 36 years ago. However, it still has relevance, particularly today. As I sing it, pay attention to the words and think of it as a prayer, a prayer of adoration, praise, confession, petition, and thankfulness. Great God of all wisdom, of science and art, Oh, grant us the wisdom that comes from the heart. Technology, learning, philosophy, youth, all leave us still yearning for your word of truth. Where people are starving, where wars desolate, a future we're carving of anguish and hate. God, turn us around and invade all our lives till justice is found and your righteousness thrives. Call us to a new day of promise and trust that outlines a new way of life that is just. Call us to build bridges, deep chasms to clear, mark trails over ridges of bias and fear. Creator of visions as well as of stars, O oh, mend our divisions and heal all our scars. You reign over history, both present and past, most challenging mystery from first to the last. On behalf of the nominating committee, I present Sally Alger and Zane Haxtema to be installed as ruling elders to fill two open positions on the session of Bethany Presbyterian Church. In baptism, each Christian is called to ministry in Christ's name. God calls some persons from the midst of the congregation to fulfill particular functions so that the ministry of the whole people of God may flourish. In ordination, the church sets apart with prayer and the laying on of hands those who have been called by God through the voice of the church to serve as deacons, ruling elders, and ministers of the word and sacrament. In installation, the church sets in place, sets in place with prayer those who have been previously ordained and are now called anew to service in that ministry. Sally and Zane have both been ordained as elders and have offered their service in ministry as elders before. And we're grateful that they have both been called and affirmed that call by agree agreeing to serve again as elders in this congregation. Today we will install them for the terms they are to, to serve. Today I've asked them each to come forward separately to answer their questions so that we can be appropriately distanced as they answer those questions. Who would like to be first? Sally. Do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I do. Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you? I do. 
Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our Church, as authentic and reliable expositions of what Scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? I do, and I will. And will you fulfill your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? I will. Will you be governed by our church's polity? And will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? I will. Will you, in your own life, seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? I will. Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? I will. And will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? I will. And will you be a faithful ruling elder, watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? Will you share in government and discipline, serving in councils of the church, and in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? I will. Thank you very much. Zane, do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior? Acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I do. Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our Church, as authentic and reliable expositions of what Scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? I do and I will. Will you fulfill your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ? under the authority of Scripture, and be continually guided by our confessions? I will. Will you be governed by our church's polity, and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's Word and Spirit? I will. Will you, in your own life, seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? I will. Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? I do. Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, And will you be a faithful, ruling elder, watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? Will you share in government and discipline, serving in councils of the church, and in your ministry? Will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? I will. Thank you very much. Do we, members of the church, accept Sally Alger and Zane Haxtamize, ruling elders, chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Christ? And do we agree to pray for them, to encourage them, to respect their decisions, and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church? I invite you to vote Record your vote by typing yes or we do into the comments section. You may also wish to express your gratitude and your commitment to pray for them and their ministry in this way. Please pray with me. 
God, our creator, you have made each one of us in your image and called us good. You've also gifted each of us in ways especially suited to serve you and your people. And by your spirit, you call us into service, into ministries of caring, leadership, word, and sacrament. We give you thanks and ask your blessing on Sally and Zane, who each, having served as leaders in the past, have again answered your spirit's call and their community's recognition of their gifts as leaders. We ask that you bless each of them with wisdom and discernment, the ability to listen to you, to their own minds and hearts, and to their friends and fellow leaders on the session. We ask that you bless them and their beloved ones with good health and strength and with the joy of being your children. May this congregation receive their leadership as a blessing, supporting and encouraging them in the work they're called to do. And may we all give thanks for the work of faith that has brought us to this moment, ready to walk into your future together. In all things, may we know Jesus Christ as our leader and be guided by the grace and truth of his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, who taught us that true leadership is found in service. Amen. If you're new to Bethany and you've been worshiping online, we would love to get to know you and to help you become a part of our community. There are small groups that meet throughout the week, and we pray for one another and with one another throughout all of life. We'd love for you to be a part of that as well. During this transitional time in our life together, you can email katie at bethanypresstacoma at gmail.com or message us through Facebook. We'd love to get to know you. One thing our community is especially grateful for is that we are continuing to support all of our staff, including our hourly staff, who normally work Sunday mornings. But to do that, we need your financial support through this time. First of all, thank you to those of you who already donate online or through direct deposit. Your response during the crisis has been really amazing. You're an incredibly generous congregation and we are all very, very grateful. If you normally write checks, please send them in. If you don't already donate online and you would like to do so, you can do that at bethanytacoma.org forward slash give. There are ways to make one-time gifts and ways to set up recurring gifts as well. And we'd like to just encourage you to take a minute to consider what you feel called to give at this time. We pray with and for one another, for joys and sorrows both. I'd invite you to write your prayer requests into the comment section during the song of prayer. What are your sorrows, your fears, your joys this week? What's breaking your heart and what's giving you life? We also pray for our global community, for all people everywhere who are suffering, who seek justice, who are working to heal our home, the earth, who bring hope to others, who remind us that we are not alone. Let's share our grief, our hope, our connections, our commitment to peace and healing, as well as our gratitude during this time.
We pray that we might remember that we are brothers and sisters called to care for one another and to seek one another's good. May we individually and corporately be guided by Jesus' example and trust in your capacity to heal what is wounded, make whole what has been broken. May we have the courage and the hope we need to be good stewards of the gift of this beautiful country and to be part of your work of shalom, of wholeness and peace. And we pray for all who are sick and for the ones who care for them, for researchers and scientists, for everyone seeking answers to deal with, help us deal with the coronavirus. We pray for communities across the planet who struggle with all kinds of illnesses. God of healing, be their guide and help all of us to find our way with patience, hope, vision, and courage. May we grow in our understanding of what it means to be whole, tending our bodies, minds, souls, and the health and well-being of our communities as well, for we are all one. And we pray for peace at home and in the world, in our hearts and in our homes. Hear us now as we pray silently, O God, offering you the prayers of our hearts, the prayers that may as yet be too deep for words. And hear us now as we pray the prayer Jesus taught his friends to say, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Bethany community is still active and thriving, even if it looks a little different these days. There are a lot of things going on, and we invite you to check out our weekly digital newsletter. This is posted on our Facebook page each week, but you can also sign up for our emailing list on our website or by contacting Katie in the church office. Bible studies are being held via Zoom on Monday evenings at 7 p.m. and Tuesday mornings at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join either of these groups, please email the church office and Katie will get you on the mailing list. And as we leave this time of worship, whether we stay home or venture out into the world, may we leave here knowing we are beloved and called, children of God, called by Jesus to leave our nets and encounter a whole new world, the world of God's grace-filled, life-giving presence emerging in and around and through us all the time. And may the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with us each and all, now and always. Amen. <clears throat>